Welcome to City Church. We are a biblically-based, relationally-driven, spirit-led church, encouraging everyone to follow Jesus, grow together, and serve others. We're excited to share this sermon with you today, and you can always find out more about us online at citychurchseville.com. So what we're doing, if you've been with us here at City, is we've been taking a look at the Older Testament, and we're discovering together the foundational realities of the kingdom of God. Because what we know is when Jesus brought about his earthly ministry, the first thing he said was this, repent, for the kingdom of God is here, or near, or at hand. And so what we know is Jesus came to usher in the kingdom of God. And so in the midst of that, we have been preaching through the Older Testament, and this is the fourth and final of the sermons that will be preached from the Older Testament. Pastor Keith preached on Adam and Eve in creation. I preached on Abraham. My son last Sunday preached on the Exodus as to what salvation means in the kingdom. And this morning, this sermon is going to be about David, King David, Israel's favorite king. Now, I want to say at the outset, this sermon is very foundational. It's not the normal type of a sermon that I would preach. But my prayer is, is that you'd hang in there and you'd learn. Because the Newer Testament's reality of the kingdom of God is based on Older Testament understandings. And so what I'm going to preach on is King David. Now, Most of us, when we think of David, we picture David and who? Goliath. The reason why is when we're kids, there's something about this story. And I don't know if you've ever read the story, but if you have, you know that every young man would love to be David. To take out a sling, to slay the giant Goliath. And then if you were to read on what David does with Goliath, After he kills him, it's every young boy's dream. Read it later. But when you look at King David, who's Israel's favorite king, he's the second king of Israel, we're going to discover some things that point us directly to Jesus. But before we even get to David, we need to understand kings in the Older Testament. The reason why the first place that Israel having a king is mentioned is found in 1 Samuel chapter 8. You see, prior to Israel having kings, they had what were called judges. And the judges were women and men who brought about the wisdom of God. And they led Israel, and they did it extremely effectively. But what we're getting ready to read will teach us about where the idea of kings came from when it comes to the understanding of the kingdom of God in the Bible. So we're going to begin reading in 1 Samuel chapter 8. Samuel is one of these judges. He's one of these men, and again, there were women and men who were judges. He is one of these judges, and the text teaches us about sort of where kings came from through him. So here we have 1 Samuel 8. Let's read. When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as Israel's leaders, and the name of his firstborn was Joel. And the name of his second was Abiha, and they served at Beersheba. But his sons did not follow his ways. They turned aside after dishonest game and accepted bribes and perverted justice. 
And so all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. And they said to him, you are old and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us such as all the other nations have. It's important to understand this. Where did the idea of Israel having a king come from? It didn't come from the kingdom of God. It came from outside of the kingdom of God. Reading on. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel, so he prayed to the Lord. And the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. You see, how the Older Testament had worked up until this point is God was literally the king of Israel. He was the one that led them into battle. He was the one that was strategizing for the future. He was the one that was leading them. And the judges were simply disseminating the wisdom of God. Reading on, it says, And they came, and they have, I'm sorry, and they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them. But warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who reigns over them will claim as his rights. And so Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king. And he said, this is what the king who will reign over you will claim as his rights. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses. And they will run in front of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants. Your male and female servants and the best of your cattle and donkeys he will take for his own use. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves will become his slaves. When that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen, but the Lord will not answer you on that day. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel heard all that the people said, he repeated it before the Lord and the Lord answered, listen to them and give them a king. What we discover is God never intended for Israel to have a king other than himself. But normally in the sermons that I preach, we deal with feet to your faith at the end. I'm going to deal with feet to your faith throughout this sermon as we take a look at King David and the Older Testament. But as I read that phrase, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and to go out before us to fight our battles. I have a question, and that is this. Do we look outside of the kingdom of God to lead us during our toughest of times? Where do we look? Because it's clear in the text that their desire for a king is to have a king that will lead them into battle. What I know, even in my own faith, there's times where I have faced the toughest of things, And there is at times a temptation to step outside of the kingdom of God and outside of following Jesus and to look to other places in order to get strength. But what we find here is, is that the people of Israel definitively wanted a king 
and they wanted a king that would lead them into battle like all the other nations had. Now, what we discover in the Scriptures is that God gives Israel a king. The first king, his name is King Saul. Saul does everything Samuel had warned about and worse. And before you know it, the people of God, the kingdom of God, the children of Israel are crying out to God because King Saul is a complete train wreck. And if you were to read the text, you would discover that in the book of 1 Samuel, God rejects Saul in the midst of him being king. God removes his presence. He removes his anointing. And the text teaches us that Saul lived a mentally tormented life. Now what else happens is even more shocking. While Saul gets worse and worse, God comes to Samuel a second time and says, go pick the new king. So before Saul is deposed or even dead, God chooses his successor. And the text tells us that God says Samuel to a man named Jesse who has nine sons. So the Samuel the judge goes to pick Saul's successor while Saul is still king. And what fascinates me so much is what God says to Samuel as he's choosing the next king. At the point where we're getting ready to read, Samuel has gone through eight of Jesse's sons. And here's what God says to Samuel. 1 Samuel 16, 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height. You see, what had happened is Jesse went and got his eight biggest, oldest sons and lined them up. And God says to Samuel, don't consider his appearance or his height, for I've rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Talking about putting feet to our faith again. What we discover is God begins to establish a king in Israel. We discover that God reveals the reality of where he looks and where people look. When I think about feet to my faith, I realize I live in a culture that is all about outward appearance. And yet God speaks to us today the same way he spoke to Samuel as he was picking Israel's next king. He said to Samuel, don't look at the outside. Don't look at the height. Don't look at his appearance. You need to look on the inside. My question to you and to myself is this. Where do we look? If we are people who live in the kingdom of God, we know we live in a culture that looks at the outside. The veneers of life that are in easily interchangeable, easy to paint and switch and to alter. But God says clearly that in his, his kingdom, he looks at the heart. And we're going to discover what that looks like in the life of David. What we know is from the youngest of age, David had a heart for God. That's what the text says. Now, not long after, David is anointed by Samuel to be Saul's successor, and Saul is still the king over Israel, 
David has the famous episode that we know and love him for. What we find is an episode in the text in 1 Samuel verse 17 where Saul, who has been chosen as king at the advice against the advice of God, but they wanted a king who would lead them into battle. And what we discover in 1 Samuel 17 is that Saul is no longer leading them in battle. He's literally lost his nerve. And in losing his nerve, now his troops are across the valley from the Philistines. And every day the Philistines send out Goliath and make this announcement, who will fight? Well, Saul should have gone and fought him. But isn't it interesting that when we look outside of the kingdom for what should lead us, it always fails. They looked outside of the kingdom and chose Saul. And Saul has failed them for the very reason why they wanted a king. But what happens is David comes, and he's just a young boy. And he looks at Goliath, and here's what he says. God has delivered me from the lion and the bear, and he will deliver me from the hands of this ungodly Philistine. And we know the story, that David takes his sling, and he faces off with Goliath, and he kills him. That, by the way, is the beginning of the trajectory for David to move towards being king. Over a period of time, Saul tries to kill David. David flees for his life. And finally, King Saul dies, and David becomes king. David, as king, does some amazing things, one of which is he establishes Jerusalem as the city of God, also known as the city of David. And it's there where the tabernacle is brought and a temple will be built where heaven and earth will come together. So David does that and the nation begins to live in peace. And Israel's enemies are conquered and David has unified the northern and the southern kingdom. He is the beloved king of Israel to this day. But we also know another story about David that involves his name and another name. It's David and Goliath when he's young, but what's the name attached to his life when he's older? David and Bathsheba, the most famous adultery in all the world. What I want to do is just read the setup that's found in 2 Samuel chapter 11 to the adulterous affair. I just want to read the setup. Here it is. It says, in the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Reba, but David remained where? In Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace, and from the roof, he saw a woman bathing. What 2 Samuel chapter 11 tells us, and here's where we also need to put feet to our faith. It begins by saying this way, in the spring, at the time when kings are supposed to be at war, David stayed at home and sent someone else. You see, there's something about David, even though he has a heart for God, there are times where he got it wrong, really wrong. And the setup to the story is this, is that David's call from God had responsibilities, He knew what it meant to be a king, but he was shirking his responsibilities. And because of that, he ended up in trouble. 
putting feet to our faith? Are there areas of our life that we know God's called us to participate in, but we've been backing off of those? Let's take heed from the life of David. You see, but David commits adultery with Bathsheba. But in Psalm 51, David pleads with God to forgive him and to transform his heart. You see, David had a heart for God. You may not know this, but that adultery was not David's greatest betrayal of God. His greatest betrayal happens in 2 Samuel 24, verse 1 and following. It's where David has been told by God to go into battle. And instead of going into battle, he counts his troops. He doesn't trust God. So he has a census taken of all of his troops. And when he gets the number back, then he'll decide if he's going to go to battle. But God brings his harshest judgment on David. And by the time the judgment is over, 70,000 Israelites are dead. David again repents, and he asks God to forgive him, and he asks that he himself would bear the judgment instead of his people. Why was God so harsh with David? Here's why. David had left the faith of his youth. When he was young, he trusted God. He believed in God. He went after Goliath when the numbers were all wrong. He simply obeyed and trusted. But as David got older and being king infected him more and more, he ceased to trust God like he did when he was young. Feet to our faith. What about you and me? Were we people, were we women and men who trusted God deeply when we were young? But as we've gotten older, we've looked over the wall into other kingdoms. We've been pulled away from what God calls us to. I think David would challenge us and say, never lose the faith of your youth. Jesus would put it this way, the kingdom of God is for little children. It's for people that will come and truly trust. Well, David's kingship continues. And what we discover is that David has had huge sins, but he's also got a heart for God. And then what we discover is at the end of of David's reign, the prophets around him begin to speak. At the end of his reign, the prophets begin to speak to him about the promises of God, and I want you to listen carefully. The text tells us in 2 Samuel 7 and following, Through Nathan the prophet, God promised David, listen to the promise. When your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your descendant after you who will come forth from you and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Your house and your, your kingdom shall endure before you forever. Your throne shall be established forever. David began to write about this in the Psalms. Psalms 132.11, the Lord swore an oath to David, a, a sure oath he will not revoke. One of your own descendants I will place on your throne. Psalm 89.3-4, you said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David my servant, I will establish your line forever 
and make your throne firm through all generations. What we need to know is, at the time of Jesus, Israel was crying out to God to fulfill the promise he'd made to David. In Jesus' day, people were begging God because King Herod was corrupt and broken. They were crying out to God that God would send the Messiah, that he would send God's son, that he would send David's son, and that there could somehow, some way, be peace in the midst of the horrors that they're living in. So as they cried out to God, and they begged him, God answered. And the very first verse in the Newer Testament says this. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of who? David. Your Newer Testament opens with the promise and the fulfillment of God's prophecies that the one you've been waiting for is here. That the one that will truly usher in the kingdom of God is now here. That he is the one that can truly be trusted. He is the one that will never alter. He will never falter and never fail. He would establish David's throne forever and ever and ever. And here we sit this morning worshiping him. If you were to look further into the Gospels, you would discover in the birth narrative before Mary even conceives, I want you to listen with new ears as to what the angel says to Mary. Luke 1, 31 through 33. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you will call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will rule and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever and his kingdom will never end. And what we discover is, is that Mary receives that message And then one chapter later at the very beginning in Luke chapter 2 verse 4, here's what the text tells us. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of who? David. Because he belonged to the house and the line of who? David. And Jesus is born in David's hometown. You see, the Newer Testament writers are begging you to understand that God's king is here. That the promise and the fulfillment of the promise to David is found in a baby born in a manger and that the kingdom of God has finally arrived in this world. When you look further into the Gospel of Matthew, you see that people begin to call Jesus an interesting title. Matthew 9.27 says, Jesus heals the blind and the mute. And it says, as Jesus went... On from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us. Who? Son of David. And then Matthew 12, 22 through 23, it says, Then they brought him, a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. And all the people were astonished and said, Could this be who? The son of David. They had been waiting for him to come. And as they saw the deliverance and the peace and the shalom and everything you'd want from the kingdom of God being brought out into this world, they looked at him and said, could this be the son of David? And then in the triumphal entry, when Jesus enters into Jerusalem, 
The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And the exclamation point is found in the cross, in the signage over Jesus' head. Matthew chapter 27, verse 37 reads, And above his head they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, King of the Jews. As we close out our time, I'm going to ask that we would stand together. And as we all stand into God's presence, I'd like us to close our eyes, but focus on Jesus. As we stand together, I'd like us, with our eyes closed, but our hearts open, to think through again very quickly the example of David in the kingdom of God. First, where do you look when you actually are in the heat of the battle and you're fighting the deepest fights? Do you look outside of the kingdom of God? Do you look into the neighboring nations to try to find your solution? Do you do what Israel did when they asked for a king? I would encourage you, don't do that. Look to Jesus. Another way of putting it is, is your life filled with fear and anxiety? If it is, I encourage you to look to Jesus because in him you will truly find the Prince of Peace. Next, in looking at your own life, are you the type of person that lives for outward appearance instead of being concerned about the heart? Next, have you left the faith of your youth? As you've gotten older and wiser, have you left your trust in God? And last, but definitely not least, we find in the life of David that he was not perfect, but he had a heart for God. And God always honored that. So what I'm going to ask that we would do is take a moment to be in God's presence and allow Jesus, our King, the one who came to usher in the kingdom of God to minister to our hearts and to our lives.